Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I am your host, and I am here with talent on loan from Rush. I want to uh, welcome today a great uh, American patriot, uh, Marine Corps Colonel, uh, no- graduate of Notre Dame uh, University, and all-around great guy, Richard Lochner. Richard, thanks for being here. Hey, well, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, my distinct honor, believe me. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, so the reason I had had uh, came across you and got to know your name is uh, your daughter had uh, listened to another episode of my podcast and um, and reached out to me and said, "Hey, I th- I really think you should uh, talk to my dad. He's a great guy. He wrote a book as a Marine Corps Colonel, and um, I, I think he would be a great guest." And immediately, I said, "Absolutely, let's do this." So. Uh, I want to actually start and kind of go through your life because you have an amazing life and I'd like for my audience to hear all about it. And then, um, and then we can talk about your book. So um, you, you went into the Marine Corps. So tell me about that process. What, what made you get into the, decide to get into the armed services? Uh, was it, was it a family thing? Uh, tell me about that experience. Well, this really is a great story. My roommate in, uh, in college was a Marine Option Aviation Guarantee uh, Aeronautical Engineer at Notre Dame, and he talked me into going into the Marine Corps. So I went down and signed up at the end of my junior year, which was too late for me to get into uh, one of the programs offered to students at that time which would have been the PLC, the platoon leaders course for the Marine Corps, which would have taken me to Quantico for two summers. So since I was beginning, uh, finishing my junior year and getting ready to start my senior year, the only option for me was officer candidate school. So at the end of my junior year, I signed up for it. And uh, the OSO, the officer selection officer, told me, come back your first day senior year and we'll let you know if you're accepted to the Marine Corps. So I, it is, he asked, first day back my senior year, I finished my registration process, went down to the ROTC building, checked in with the OSO, Captain Carker, and he says, sorry, Dick, he said, you didn't get accepted. And I said, okay. And I said, why? He said, because of your eyesight, your eyesight is too bad. Okay. So off I went to my first class. Now, I've been hanging around the University of Notre Dame since I was seven years old. My uncle was ordained a priest there. So in the summer times, I would go up to Notre Dame, stay on the campus um, for a period of time, and uh, I got to know all the priests. Well, Father Hesburgh, as you know, was a longtime 35-year president at the University of Notre Dame, very well known. And uh, as I'm going to my first class in the College of Commerce, I'm about 20 yards from the side entrance where I was going to enter, and Father Hesburgh is walking towards me. So I greeted him and said, uh, 
Good morning, Father. How are you? And he says, fine, Dick. How are you? That's okay. And he said, no, you're not. Come here. See, he taught me about leadership right then and there. Leaders know their people. And since I'd known him for so long, he could just look at me and know something was wrong. So he said, what's wrong, Dick? And I said, oh, I just found out I got turned down for officer candidate school. He said, what was the reason? I said, because of my eyesight. He said, ah, that's no problem. He said, you just get somebody important to write you a letter of recommendation and they'll waive that eyesight deficiency. Okay, Father. Well, what are you going to do, Dick? Well, I'll think of something. He said, well, you just get somebody important to write you a letter of recommendation and they'll waive it. Ah, I was suited to be a Marine. So I said, Father, will you write me that letter? Yes. And he grabbed me by my collar. He said, come with me. See, leaders know their people. Leaders take action. That's what Father Hesper was. He took me to his office, wrote the letter. His secretary um, brought in the letter he dictated while I was still chatting with him. He signed it. I said, Father, thank you for your, your vote of confidence. I'm late for class. If you give me your blessing, I'm out of here. And I left. A couple of days later, Captain Parker called and said, I don't know what's going on, but Bumed just sent a telex. You're in. Come down to the ROTC building. We'll swear you in today. And that started my Marine Corps career. But I knew the leaders know their people. Leaders take action. Taught to me by Father Ted Esper. Leaders know their people and leaders take action. And that's really applicable in uh, so many areas, not just the military, but uh, certainly in business and in uh, in just life in general. Uh, that's a really, really great point. So um, so tell me about your journey into the Marine Corps, because that's a that's an, an adventure for a young man. And, um, you know, tell me where you served and, and what that was like. Well, it, um, it kind of was a follow on to the eyesight problem. I went through officer candidate school and I finished uh, quite high in the class and went on to the basic school, did very well there, got my first choice of MOS, military occupational specialty. And my first choice was 6730, which was the back seat of the F-4 Phantom. My roommate was aeronautical engineer, aviation guarantee in the Marine Corps. He was out at El Toro flying F-4 Phantoms. And as, as for me, I want to be the back seat Rio. So I had that for about a month. Basic school is six months. Finally, uh, one morning uh, at um, notices they're given, before the first class, the company commander came in and said, uh, that was a student company commander. He came in and said, you have to go see the company commander. So right away. So I went to see him. There's a major by the name of Zotki. He's sitting there and he's saying, Dick, you can't be 6730. It's your eyesight. You just, you had a waiver, so you can't do that. So what do you want to do? I said, well, I'll be in 03 infantry. He said, no. You can't do that either because of your eyesight. He said, so um, look, he said, you were an accounting major at Notre Dame. You want to go to California and be with a friend of yours out there. He said, how about if we send you to El Toro? We need uh, aviation supply officers. Okay. I'll take it. You know, in that time, it was three years. You do your time. The draft was on my intent was to go back to Cleveland, Ohio, my hometown, and you know, work in real estate. So uh, 
off I went to El Toro. But you know, when I got there, the Marines, the young Marines that I met, so many of them were lost. So many of them hadn't really had uh, a good home life. And I found myself as the old man, and I'm just a recent college graduate. And yet they come to me for fatherly advice. So a series of those kinds of things um, motivated me to stay in the Marine Corps. My first duty station was with a helicopter squadron, HMM 363. And they actually taught me how to fly the plane. I had eight hours of flight time in those days. Probably on national TV, we shouldn't say this, but uh, um, in those days, you, you could do it. The NATOPS manual, the Navy uh, Training and Operating Procedures manual, does say that you only need in a, I've, this particular plane was the H-34 um, helicopter, you only need one qualified pilot and one qualified observer in the other seat. So I qualified as the qualified observer. But while you're there, the pilot teaches you how to operate the, uh, the cyclic and the collective and, you know, fly the thing. So I actually had 10 hours of flight time flying it, which is Sierra Hotel, you know, it's really good. So I enjoyed that, did that for three years. And then I was over to Iwakuni, Japan for a brief assignment. And uh, at that time, General McCutcheon was taking the first Marine Air Wing into Vietnam and uh, he needed a wing supply officer. Well, a wing supply officer is a full colonel's billet. At this time, I was a first lieutenant. But the colonel was needed back in Japan to do pushing endeavors. And he needed somebody in country that could uh, coordinate things. The majors that were at the group level said, no, you, we, don't, we don't think you should bring one of us up to the wing level because all of the groups are in separate areas around Vietnam and the majors are needed there. So don't steal one and put them on the, on the staff. They said, as a matter of fact, we know somebody from our time at El Toro, young Lieutenant, that'd be just as good. So the general called me in, interviewed me. Towards the end of the interview, he said, uh, is your sea bag packed? And I said, it's packed. He said, my driver's right here. Meet me at the flight line in 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, I'm on a KC-130 heading to Da Nang. Uh, did a tour there with the um, uh, First Marine Air Wing, uh, Wing Supply Officer staff for about three months. And then the Colonel came south and General McCutcheon then uh, sent me back to the helicopters, MAG-16 over at China Beach. And so I, Stayed with helicopters for a while and then started getting uh, various Marine Corps assignments. I went to the Navy at Coronado. From there, I went to um, the Army at Fort Lee, Virginia, where I taught inventory management, defense advanced inventory management, defense procurement management, defense maintenance operations, defense depot management courses. Um, took the uh, National Security Management course. Uh, as an aside, that came out of the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. So I was building knowledge yeah, really beyond my, my uh, pay grade. And that 
pretty soon I was, while I was at uh, Fort Lee, I got promoted to major. And as soon as that promotion came through, bang, I'm back to Vietnam again. Mm -hmm. So I did another year in Vietnam, came out of there. And with all the defense teachings that I had done, guess where I ended up? Defense Depot Ogden, Utah. So um, worked that for three years. And uh, finally, our monitor called me one day and he said, we're getting ready to move here. Where do you want to go? And I said, you know, I've really never worked in my MOS. Every place I've gone, they had me doing things that were really out of my uh, specialty area. Mm-hmm. And my monitor at that time was Peter Pace. I don't know if you uh, he went on to become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yes, 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 yes. It, it, can I stop you for one second? Sure. Just just for a perspective uh, for those listening. Um, so what year were you? did you do your first tour in Vietnam? 65 and 6. Okay, so 1965, um, 66. 66. And the second tour was 70 and 71. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And then uh, our daughter was, um, she actually uh, was born while I was in Vietnam. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to stop you right there and then rewind a little bit because um, I'm, I am curious about, uh, uh, so you just said you, you, your daughter was born in 71. So tell me about how you met your wife. um in 65 december christmas uh, my sainted grandmother sent my name into the cleveland papers and said this is the boy's first christmas in vietnam let's send him christmas greetings so she sent my name and address in you know fbo address i get all of these cards, well-wishing cards, and one of them was from uh, a Jenny Bilek. So I tried to answer everyone who was gracious to write me a letter, and she wrote back, and we carried on a correspondence for about six months. So, um, I, And she was from Cleveland, Ohio. So when I finished my first tour, my uh, second assignment was to uh, Coronado, California, and so I flew across the country, um, see the family. I bought a car there in Cleveland from a dealer that I knew. And I was going to drive it back across uh, country to California and uh, continue on with my Marine Corps career. Well, I've been writing uh, Jenny for about six months now. And uh, when I met her, and she was just as wonderful as her letters, uh, Three days later, I proposed, and two weeks later, we were married. It's a good thing my uncle is a priest because he got us right through the Kena. He got you. He got you set up. That well, that was so. So she that didn't was hold 55 your fifty-five years ago. Fifty-five. So she didn't hold your eyesight against you this time. This time, the eyesight didn't didn't stop anything, right? No, the eyesight didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, wow, that is fast. I I was uh, so so just so be, th- those listening. I'm I'm I live in Cleveland here as well. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting connection, a neat connection that we had. And um, I was actually, I met my wife and got engaged uh, within in about three months from when I met her. So you got me beat um, by, by quite a bit uh, as far as, I, I know you were corresponding. Uh, well, you know, Marines are decisive. Yes. Well, you did say, you did say leaders know their people and leaders take action. So you must have known that she would say yes. 
Otherwise, that'd be a <laughs> that'd be a risky move. But actually, she said yes without reservation. Even better. Even better. Even better. Even better. Well, that's fantastic. Well, that's a, that's such a great story. So so um, so so then then what year did you your, your daughter was born? You said in 72? 71. 71. Okay. And so when did you um, get out of the Marine Corps? I retired in 1988. 1988. Okay. Okay. And what did you go on to do from there? Well, <laughs> there's another story there. Uh, during my Marine Corps career, actually during the time I was at Notre Dame, there was a, a young man that my uncle uh, befriended from Guam uh, by the name of Ben Blas. And um, Ben went on to go into the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, the Guamanians were the only Americans held captive during World War II, don't you know? Mm, yeah. So uh, Ben was considered a foreign student. And my uncle was the foreign student advisor at Notre Dame at the time when he was there, very early 50s. And uh, got to know him real well. Well, that friendship has stayed solid all these years. Uh, turns out that while he was in the Marine Corps, Ben was looking after my career. I didn't know this at the time, but he was pulling strings, you know, all these fantastic assignments I was getting. Uh, seemed like they're coming out of nowhere, but they're really coming out of Ben Blas. Uh, so I, I eventually worked for him at Quantico in, uh, 1978, yeah. and at that time, the Brookings Institute had come out with a scathing report as to where does the Marine Corps go from here, and since I was teaching at Command and Staff College at Quantico at the time, uh, I got the report, went home, read it two or three times, and typed up a 20-page rebuttal to the Brookings Institute report. And um, that rebuttal ended up being bought by the Marine Corps as to the solution. So, and uh, Ben Blas kind of ushered me through that. Uh, years later, uh, I'm now teaching at the National War College as a full colonel. And I get a phone call one morning and uh, he says, Dick, this is Ben. I always had mixed emotions. Do I call him Congressman or do I call him General? Because he ended up retiring in Brigadier General. So I opted to call him General. So I said, uh, I said Nick, uh, I just fired my AA, you know, and the, their chief of staffs or administrative assistants. Second, he said, I just fired my AA. You know, how'd you like to come work for me Monday on Capitol Hill? So I thought about it, thought about Susie. And um, I wouldn't have to pull her out of her senior year in high school. It would give her stability. So I said, I'll take it. So I went home on a Thursday night, walked into the door. My wife greeted me and I said, honey, tomorrow's my last day in the Marine Corps. She said, what did you do? <laughs> I said, no, Ben called. I'm going to be working for him starting Monday morning. I wonder if she was thinking, was it that eyesight again? Was yeah, it, maybe. Did that come you back never at know. You? So, he walked well, into something. 
So, so you mentioned Susie. So Susan, Susie, you call her was the, was your daughter, the one that yes. emailed me. So, so, um, uh, so now you're at the point where your, your oldest daughter is, um, is in, is in her senior year. So tell me about your fan, the rest of your family. Do you have other kids? And no, no, good Lord only sent us one. It took five years of pray prayer uh, to excellent. Uh, get her to come. And excellent. Uh, in fact, her middle, uh, her first name is Suzanne, as you know. Her middle name is Jerice, which is a form of Gerard, because we spent five years praying for St. Gerard's intercession. So for her. Oh, that's that's incredible. So now so now your life takes you to Capitol Hill. Yes. All right. Well, I have to ask about that. <laughs> so tell me about how that went and how long you were there and some of what you did there. Well, <clears throat> By this time, uh, Susie had been accepted to Notre Dame. Well, not not at the time I went up there, but uh, several months after I was there, she got her acceptance letter to Notre Dame, which proved the whole thing worthwhile because that's really what the game plan was. Well, in those days, I'm a, I was a regular officer, not a reservist. If I'd have been a reserve officer, different uh, portions of Title X apply. But being a regular, I couldn't double dip. So by that, I couldn't accept my retirement pay and Capitol Hill pay working for the congressman. I had to give up my retirement pay to work for him, which was all right. It's for the country. But when Susie got accepted to Notre Dame, I couldn't continue to do that because I have to send my retirement pay or what it was to Notre Dame for Pete's sake. So uh, another good friend, uh, Colonel by the name of Neil Larimer, whom I'd worked for several times before and who really was instrumental in uh, getting me, excuse me, getting me a command. He got me command of the third maintenance battalion in Okinawa, which a plum of a job. And it was that assignment that catapulted me and got me promoted to colonel. So I really kind of owe a lot to Neil Armour. So uh, Neil calls me and he said, Dick, congratulations. I hear Susie's accepted to Notre Dame. I said, yes. He said, well, you can't keep working for Ben, can you? I said, no, I can't. He said, how'd you like to come work for me? I said, I'd love it. He said, come have coffee with me tomorrow morning. He was working for Atlantic Research Corporation at the time. And uh, they were doing uh, Marine Corps projects, Beltway Bandits, okay? So he said, uh, I need somebody of your caliber to come down here and help do some of these jobs. So I went to see him and met his boss, and they made me a nice offer. And I uh, went back and gave my, uh, gave Congressman Ben Blouse the, the week's notice. And, and he understood because he knew, you know, he's a Notre Dame grad and he, Susie's gotten accepted to Notre Dame. So he was thrilled. Um, that's his soul. He, he died in 2014. I was back in Washington, D.C. for his funeral at Arlington. Um, his granddaughter uh, was uh, to be an Army nurse. And Ben's job was to commission her but he died before her graduation. So the family called me 
and said, will you go and commission her in Ben's place? So that was an honor for me. Uh, to thank again the Blas family for um, allowing me to be part of such a um, moment in their life. So I did that uh, and then worked for Atlantic Research for five years. And uh, by this time, Susie uh, had graduated from Notre Dame. We were up shooting. We were up at Notre Dame for a, flip, or for a junior parents weekend. And there was a home for sale right at the front gate. So what's a guy to do? You know, his alma mater. I've been going there since I was seven years old. Uh, it's time to retire, retire. My wife, had, uh, she was worn out too because it's up I-95 every day and leaving the house at 4.45 in the morning, getting home, who knows when. She worked at Langley, so what um, a haul. So it was time for us to say it's enough. Um, so I gave my notice to Atlantic Research and uh, we moved to the first home at the main gate of the University of Notre Dame, stayed there for 19 years. And um, until uh, we decided we didn't like the snow anymore and moved here. So you're in, where are you at now? In Houston. You're in Houston. Okay, excellent. And, and where is your, your daughter, Susan? Uh, she's in Knoxville. She's in Knoxville. Oh, I've been there many times. Beautiful. Uh, wow. That, that, that is a, an amazing story. And I'm sure that uh, we can, we can talk about all the ins and outs of that story for hours on end and, and, uh, and probably sit here in silence as you, as you tell these stories, because they, they're very captivating. That, that is incredible that you ended up, you know, back right next to Notre Dame or there. Um, so, so ultimately, uh, I want to talk about your book. So you wrote a book. In the it's book, my second book. Your second book. Okay. Yeah. Um, your second book. So um, we'll, we'll talk about both of them. Okay. The one that I had seen here was, is called, I am your constant. So uh, first question is, you know, what, what prompted you? It, please tell me the name of your first book. Sorry. Um, right. And then, and then, it, you know, tell me why you, you know, what motivated you to write these books? Uh, they actually tie together, Jerry. Okay. They really do. Uh the first book was written uh, about 19 years ago now, and that one uh, is titled Give Success. As a leader, as a manager, if you give your people failure, you haven't done your job. You have to give them success. So many people who are in a leadership position, and leadership is the greatest challenge this nation faces right now competent leadership at all levels, whether it's leadership of a home depot or leadership of a restaurant or leadership of a Ford factory, doesn't matter. Um, leadership is the sole thing the nation really needs to um, get a grasp on. So I wrote this book called Give Success and um, it's not in print anymore. Uh, and it can be gotten. Uh, and that 
was kind of a catharsis of what managers should do, the uh, taking responsibility for your life, taking responsibility for other people's lives, taking responsibility for your uh, corporate business functions and responsibilities. So much so that every time I use the word responsibility, my choice, I capitalize every letter. Just to emphasize to people, responsibility. Take it seriously. So I write a how-to book for leaders and managers. And that kind of, with reflections of something that happened early on in high school at St. Edward High School there in Cleveland, something that I had really been mulling over all my life, meditating on. And I said, you know, I've written a book about how people can take responsibility in a material way. That's not important. If you were to list all of your assets in this world, everything that means something to you, house, your car, your clothes, your vacation. If they were all taken from you, would it matter? No. You can do without all those things. As a matter of fact, when you drive by a graveyard and you look at all those people there that are planted there, they didn't take their house and their car and their clothes and their vacations with them. The only thing they took with them is the answer to the one question that God is going to ask you when you die. You learn how to love. So I thought, all right, let's get out of the material realm and let's get to the spiritual realm because that's really where it's important. That's where that's where there's a potential for tragedy. You know, you hear on the nightly news, Jerry, you hear it all the time, the tragedy of five people hurt in this auto killed in this auto accident. 200 people died in a plane crash. Another tragedy over here, another tragedy. That's not a tragedy. People die all the time. 330 million people in this country, 78.6 years life expectancy. That means 4.1 million people die every year in this country. That's 11,000 people a day, normally, out of the 330 million people. So when you hear, okay, 500,000 people died of COVID, that sounds high. But 4,100,000 were going to die this year anyway. How many of them, of how many of those 500,000 really were because of other, other issues? Particularly when you hang on to the fact that a COVID death reported by a hospital gets them more money than, uh, a regular death, so oh. the numbers get highly inflated. So anyway, tragedy to me is not death. Tragedy to me is dying and going to hell. Going to hell is the tragedy. It all started back in Santa Edward High School. Our, the last day of our senior year, just before we were about to clean out our lockers and leave, we had a homeroom. And uh, Brother Bennett got us all together. 
uh, there was a large group of us, about 17 of us that were going on to Notre Dame. He got us all together and he said to us, he said, what is the twofold creed that every Judeo-Christian belief has in common? And of course, it went around, round, robin, people guessed certain things. And the idea was, doesn't matter if you're a Baptist, if you're a Presbyterian, you're a Jewish, Orthodox, you're Roman Catholic, doesn't matter. Everybody agrees to these two things in common. So what are they? He said, I want you to think about that. He didn't tell us the answer. So when we get on to Notre Dame, we had to find the answer. Well, I found the answer. And it caused me a lifetime, and I still meditate on it. God is the creator. Creation is a perfect act of love on his part. So you meditate on perfect act of love. You meditate on he's the creator. What, do, what are our responsibilities to our creator? What are our responsibilities to our parents? You know? What are our responsibilities to our boss? We all have responsibilities. But when you think about your creator who gave you life and is going to give you eternal life, what is your responsibility? Oh, and it was a perfect act of love. That's the second part. And you meditate a perfect act of love. So what, what's the monetary uh, cost of getting to heaven? Can a rich man buy his way? No, he can The only way you can get yourself into heaven is to learn how to love your own perfect act of love as you go. So this led to a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of thinking. And uh, finally, the catharsis of it was in the book, I Am Your Constant. This is, there's a four-line prayer that the Lord has taught various visionaries that I like to concentrate on. And I took the title of it. In fact, you can, I don't know if you can see. Uh, can you see the book title? Yep, hold right. it a little higher. There you go. I am your constant. Yep, there you go. Okay, see the picture that's there? Yep. It's, it's the standard picture of creation. It's in the Sistine Chapel. And you see God is reaching towards man. Man is reaching towards God. But if you noticed, old Adam is there. He's got his hand, his elbow on his knee, and there's really only so far he can reach, right? <laughs> but in the picture that Michelangelo brings, God is actively reaching toward man. He's way out there. Man is kind of blase. No. So, all right. Here's the four-line prayer. The Lord has taught various visionaries. One, I am your constant. What does it say in the Bible? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Mm -hmm. Second line is, my love for you is unchanging. It's like saying, I've seen it all, Dickie Lochner. There's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. Nothing. I've seen it all. Okay, I am your constant. 
my love for you is unchanging. Third line, my mercy upon you is endless. What does it say in the Bible again? How many times should we forgive, Lord? Seven times? Nah, seven times 70, which is endless. So my mercy upon you is endless. And the fourth line of the prayer is fear nothing, but trust in me always. And we start divine mercy. So I am your constant. My love for you is unchanging. My mercy upon you is endless. Fear nothing, but trust in me always. So I started meditating on this and I started thinking, I put the book in, uh, in three sections. Uh, the first section asks, is the past prologue? And you go through all the things that um, we're all sometimes disgustedly complaining about to uh, our friends and confidants. How do we get to be the way we got to be? Why is there so much hate and disorder and dissent in the world? And why does God permit it? Well, God gave us free will, as you well know. It's not his will for us. It's not his perfect will for us. It's his permissive will for us. Because we have free will, people can decide to go to war if they want. God doesn't permit it because they have free will. So when you go through and you you look at how the world got to be the way it got to be, and by the way, if you, you ever read the book of Job? Yes. Take heart. Right. How many times in reading the book of Job have you said, you know, except for the toys, we have iPhones and TVs, and mm-hmm. except for the toys, there goes Job, there goes me. Right. He lives the same kind of life we all live. He had people stabbing him in the back. He lost this. He lost that. So the story of Job is uh, is kind of woven through the book, too. Mm-hmm. So I review the past uh, and ask, is it the prologue? And then we go into a discussion of today's realities. And... I won't give away too much of it because I'd sure like people to read the book. Sure. But uh, a review of today's realities, might get some people slightly exercised, I'll say, uh, because it it means they got to stretch a little bit. They got to stop doing certain things. They got to start doing other things. They got to start saying, Mm, maybe I'd better read some more, mm-hmm. you know, so, and then the book ends up with um, future possibilities, possibilities. And when you're done, when you're done reading this, I promise you the one, the one feeling that you will have is you'll have hope. In this world today, so many people have given up hope. So much is coming at them. I remember talking to my grandfather eons ago, 
in a, he didn't have the internet. He didn't have cell phones. He didn't have television. Their life was so much more simple. Today, we are, we sometimes walk around and say, oh, we're on overload, total overload. Where am I? And, and people just feel hopeless. And that certainly is shown in the very difficult suicide statistics that we see. These are people who've given up hope. So hope, when they read the book and they begin to understand their responsibilities and they begin to take on a new life and begin to understand what the perfect act of love really means, what God really intended, there's a way to join in on that. The book will tell them what they can do, practical, pragmatic things they can do to change their life and give them hope. So much so that it doesn't matter, even if they're martyred someday. You see, there's a difference between um, happiness and joy. I'm sure you know that. Our Constitution provides us um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The word pursuit, it doesn't guarantee us happiness. It just says you can pursue it, See, which means happiness is fleeting. We can wake up one day and be happy. By noon, we can be sad. By four o'clock, we can be happy again. Happy hour. And by evening, we can be sad. So happiness is fleeting. Joy. Joy and understanding why you were born, what you're here for, to know, love, and serve God. And the fact that it doesn't matter what you've done, Dickie Lochner, I've seen it all. My love for you is unchanging, the Lord says. My mercy upon you is endless. So for all the people out there who might be listening or watching, it doesn't matter what your sins have been in the past. The Lord forgives you if you're repentant. If you just tell him, I'm sorry, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to learn how to love. That'll give him hope. It sure would. Boy, wow. That was uh that was amazing. I just want to actually kind of repeat some of the I was taking notes a little bit uh uh a little bit here. So just as a review, you were asked um you were asked about you know the two things two things in high school and they were God is the creator and creation is the perfect act of love. And mm-hmm. and um at the end of the day you're going to be asked did you learn how to love? Right. That's going to be, that's, um, that's going to be key and important. Um, this, this book is based upon, you know, four concepts of, I am your constant. Number one, my number two, my love for you is unchanging. Number three, my mercy upon you is endless. And number four, fear nothing, but trust in me always. So, uh, these are all really great, uh, phenomenal words of wisdom. So I want to ask you for, uh, you know, how, uh, how people can find your book and, and get a copy of your book. Cause I think it's something that everyone should read and hopefully uh, will read. Um, how, how do they find you? Jerry, thanks for asking. Uh, I wrote the book for the 21st century and that the book is interactive. How many times have you ever read a book that's interactive? So you can't get a hard copy. There's no hard copy to the book. You go online and you download to your computer or 
your um, iPhone if you want, whatever, you download it. But once it's downloaded and you're reading it onto your computer, there will be some um, links that you can click while you're reading the book. So for example, I talk about creation. God is the creator. Not to get too deep into the mud, but I do take them through uh, three pages of the Big Bang Theory. Don't have to memorize it. Don't even have to understand it. Just understand it. I just understand that, you know, creation's there. And one of the links is from NASA. So don't believe Dickie Lochner about creation. What does NASA say? You know what NASA says? All of the universe, everything that we can see and probably can't even see beyond with the deep uh, space probes that they have, but all of creation happened in one one trillionth of a second. It's not Dickie Lochner saying that, that's NASA. Wow, God is the creator. And he did it in one one trillionth of a second. I mean, that's flat out drag a Chevrolet. One one trillionth of a second. Oh. All right. Einstein said nothing can travel faster than 186,000 miles per hour. So how can that get out there in a trillion trillionth of a second? Be God. That's the power of the God. And it's a perfect act of love on his part. He gave it all to us. He gave us free will. So what do we do with it? What's our responsibilities? Not only to God, but to creation, to our families, our friends, our employers. So, um, Learn how to love. So um, I, if anyone is interested, if you will go to gabrielslibrary.com, uh, you can you can find the book there, the ebook there, and you could download it and and get it there. You have a, a great picture of you here uh, on on this site, as well as you'll you'll see the the title on the left. I am your constant with the uh, uh, with the Michelangelo image of God and uh, reaching out to 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 Adam uh, from the Sistine Chapel. Uh, so it's a gabrielslibrary.com. It's gabrielslibrary.com. Check it out there, and you can find uh, the ebook there. And if you want to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, Colonel Richard Lochner, you can. So uh, well, this has been extremely, extremely enjoyable to talk to you. And uh, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on my uh, my humble little little podcast here. And I'm grateful for your daughter, Susan, for uh, for suggesting that you come on. This has mm -hmm. been really great and inspirational. Well, thank you for having me. And I, I hope there are people out there who will uh, grab the brass ring as this merry-go-round of life goes by and we'll latch on to it and we'll latch on to the love of the Lord. Doesn't matter what they've done in their life. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He forgives us. Just come to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, this is a man of action, a man who knows his people, a man of action who uh, proposed to his wife after two days. What was it? Three days? I met her on Thursday and it was Saturday night. Okay. So on the second day he proposed 
There, there it is. So uh, this is a man of action for sure. So uh, Colonel and it's Lochner. lasted 55 years, too. So. <laughs> that's even better. That's even more impressive. Uh, so uh, Colonel, Colonel uh, Richard Lochner, uh, again, please go to uh, gabrielslibrary.com and uh, you can download his ebook and check it out and read all about it. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, thank you, Colonel, for being here. This has been very enjoyable. I want to thank your daughter, uh, Susan, for uh, suggesting that you come on. This is uh, I'm very glad uh, uh, you accepted and, and she contacted me. And I want to thank all of you listeners uh, for listening today for this right, episode. Thank you, Jerry. Absolutely. Uh, for, for listening to this episode of uh, Fides podcast. Uh, and we will see you next time. 